The Business from The Guardian. I'm Adit Chakraborty and welcome to a special Christmas edition of The Business. And it being that time of year, how about a story? Every December brings the same nightmarish vision. It begins at a deserted mall stacked with a million dollars worth of products. Customers form a perimeter a thousand feet outside the mall. Then, out of nowhere, a red tornado strikes, just the mall and not the crowd, and lifts the clothing and appliances and books and DVDs into the air. As quickly as the cyclone landed, it rises back into the sky. Then the products rain gently down on the crowd. Hey, I got a toaster, says someone in the crowd. Look, I got a red sweater. Not my size or colour, says another. Wow, I got a singing fish. And these are the lucky ones. But after the thrill of free stuff wears off, people realise that they do not have what they want. What's distinctive about all of this spending is that, except for the prearranged gifts for teenagers, the choices are not made by the ultimate consumers. For the rest of the year, the people who will ultimately use the stuff choose what they buy. As a result, buyers normally choose things they correctly expect to enjoy using, but not at Christmas. As a result, the massive holiday spending has the potential to do a terrible job matching products with users. Throughout the year, we shop meticulously for ourselves, looking at scores of items, before choosing those that warrant spending our own money. The process at Christmas, by contrast, has givers shooting in the dark about what you like, recalling the way the imaginary red tornado distributes gifts. To make matters worse, we do much of this spending with credit, going into hock using money we don't yet have to buy things that recipients don't really want. If you discovered a government program that was hemorrhaging money, say spending $100 billion of taxpayer money per year to generate a benefit of only $85 billion, you would be outraged. That's an extract from a new book by the economist Joel Wolfogel from the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton Business School. It's called Scroogeonomics, and in it, Wolfogel puts forward a case why you shouldn't buy presents over the holiday period. Well, when he came into the studio, I asked him to explain why he thinks Christmas is the most wasteful time of year. Well, it's also wonderful, but it's wasteful in the following sense. Normally, I'll only buy something, say, for £50, if it's worth at least £50 to me. So normally, spending provides a reasonable measure of satisfaction. Gift-giving is different. If I set out to spend £50 on you... Since I don't know what you like and I don't know what you already have, I might buy something worth nothing to you. Now, to investigate this possibility, I've done a lot of surveys over the years asking gift recipients about items they'd received as gifts, who gave it to you, what do you think the giver paid, what would you have been willing to pay for that item, just the item, not the sentimental value attached to that item. And I've also, in more recent surveys, asked people about items they've purchased for themselves, same questions. And what I've learned is that people value items they receive as gifts, 20% less than items they purchase for themselves per dollar per pound spent. And so, you know, you take the volume of holiday gift giving. In the U.S., it's $65 billion per year. Multiply that by the 20% in missing satisfaction, you have $13 billion 
in missing satisfaction or deadweight loss from gift giving each year. Okay, so let's have an example. If I decided to buy you a tie and I spent £50 on it and you hated it, that would be what you call £50 worth of deadweight loss. Well, actually, because what we want to compare that to is what I would have done with 50, how much satisfaction I would have gotten from the 50. And so if I only buy things worth at least 50 to me, then it's quite possible what I would have done is better. So the, the loss is actually more than 50. And you've come up with this average of a 20% gap between what you could have had and what you actually did end up having in terms of a uh, uh, satisfaction deficit. How does that vary between gift givers? Yeah, it does vary pretty substantially. Uh, People who are in frequent contact with their recipients, so friends, siblings, even parents, tend to do quite well. The people who do really quite poorly are people who are in less frequent contact with their recipients. And this isn't surprising. Of course, this is because they have less information about what the recipient really wants or needs or already has. So the aunts and uncles and the grandparents and actually uh, uh, my favorite category, in-laws, do worst. And what about age? Does that play a difference? I don't, I don't have really direct information about age. I mean, of course, typically the folks who are in less frequent contact are older relative to the recipients or a bigger age differential. But I'm not so sure it's about age per se as opposed to just frequency of contact and information about what the recipient likes. Okay, so you're a lone academic who's been working in this field for something like two decades on and off, and you're taking on a huge multi-billion dollar industry. What, what have the retailers said back to you? Uh, nothing, but I fear for snipers. I mean, but, but seriously, I'm not against spending at all. I'm interested in seeing as much satisfaction as can be produced by spending. And so I'm not anti-spending. I mean, uh, I would just like to see if we're spending $145 billion around the world on holiday gifts each year, I'd like to see us getting the kind of commensurate amount of satisfaction from that spending. And so uh, I even advocate that people should continue giving gifts in situations where they have a reasonable idea what the recipient might want. And I think most of the, the important bonds between people are people who are close to one another. And I think it's, it's, it's fine. It's even economically efficient to keep doing that. Okay, we'll come on to criticism in a moment. But what are your solutions? It sounds like we should actually be most efficient in just giving each other cash. Well, you know, that's only the textbook solution. Maybe the young Joel Waldfogel would have said that. But, you know, the wiser Joel Waldfogel would say, uh, so first off, Go ahead and give gifts in those situations where you have a reasonable idea. And so, you know, uh, uh, you know, I already sort of covered that. A second possibility, though, you know, suppose you have to give a gift, but you don't really know what the recipient wants. In principle, yes, give cash. But I think, in fact, that's a terrible solution. Cash is a socially stigmatized gift. It's a really awkward gift in, in most Western cultures. Uh, there are special dispensations allowing, I think, grandparents and aunts and uncles to give cash to their recipients, at least in the U.S. But for the most part, cash is not a solution. And to, to tell people to do something that they find unpleasant is not a solution, since, after all, I'm after satisfaction here. So what can one do? I mean, in the U.S., we have this huge growth in gift vouchers. They've moved to there about $80 billion a year, perhaps a third of holiday spending. What's interesting about them is that they're like cash in the sense that they give the recipient the choice, but they're unlike cash in that they avoid the stigma. So it, I think of it as money laundering uh, or satisfaction laundering. It allows the recipient to go ahead and choose what he or she wants. Uh, no value needs to be destroyed. It's not the ideal gift for someone you really know well because it's not terribly personal. But again, the situations I'm talking about, the situations that are the perfect recipe for value destruction, are the situations in which there's an obligation to give but no knowledge about what the recipient wants. But there are practical problems with gift cards, gift vouchers. Uh, 
there's a another academic called Jennifer Pate who's found that an awful lot of our gift gift vouchers go unredeemed. Yes, and also I and I, I I'm a reader uh, and a fan of her work. So. On average, we are told that uh, 10% of the value of gift vouchers does not get redeemed by the recipient. So that means that as a means of transferring buying power from giver to recipient, these are not, frankly, that much better than usual sort of badly chosen gifts. You know, that said, the other 10% isn't destroyed. It's transferred to retailers, and retailers are people too. Bless you for thinking of them this time of year. I mean, I'm, I'm joking, I guess, half joking. At least I'm a, I'm a business school professor. I think profits are good. But I also think that givers were not really thinking about making gifts to retailers. So my, uh, my suggestion, uh, I would love to see retailers issue gift cards that defaulted to charity after 24 months. So the unredeemed balance would go straight to a good cause. You know, people tell me it's as likely as world peace, but I'm more optimistic than that because there are a lot of retailers who have invested a lot in images for social consciousness and, and, and do give a lot to charity. This might be a way to build on that image and moreover to bring additional customers into the store who, who now would have faith that their gift card expenditures are either going to their loved one or some worthy cause. Just one question on your uh, gift givers is there any one group of gift givers that does particularly well when it comes to uh, getting extra satisfaction out of the gifts they give significant others do the best I mean, in a, a number of surveys, they've come out ahead of everyone else. So, and, and that makes sense. They're pretty intimate contact, know a lot about uh, what would be wanted or liked. And by the way, they never give cash. One up for romance. Um, let's come on to the problems uh, with your argument. First of all, I have never bought myself a pair of gloves. And yet every winter I put on a pair of gloves given to me by someone else. I've never been delighted to have a pair of gloves, but they're incredibly useful things to, 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 to receive. Well, so there are a couple of ways to think about that. I mean, if you didn't receive glove gifts, you would presumably go out and buy some if you wanted them. So I think there's displacement going on. But I think another thing going on there, gloves are, are in my view, a classic paternalistic gift. Right? So what do you want? Well, you probably want a fifth of scotch. But no, I don't want to give you a fifth of scotch. I want to give you something healthy and, and, and you know, useful for you. I'll give you a pair of gloves. Gloves are, and hats are these sort of classic paternalistic gifts from people who worry about whether you're you know, taking care of yourself. Those are interesting because in, I think with those gifts, paternalistic gifts, the goal is not so much to promote satisfaction on the part of the recipient, but instead to promote healthy behavior. So those are, gloves are interesting in that respect, but I, I'm not sure that, that it cuts any way about efficiency or inefficiency. I mean, those, I guess it happens that those are good gifts for you. The other major criticism that's been made of your argument is it doesn't really, by explicitly setting aside sentimental value, you've kind of missed the point of what a gift is. Yeah, I think that's, that, that's con- some confusion. Let me talk through that. So... Some say that there's joy of giving, and I actually believe that. So one of the forms of sentimental value is the joy to the giver from giving. So let's go back to to, to the example. I spend 50 pounds on you, and I buy something worth only 30 to you. So far, it looks like a terrible transaction that's destroyed value. But suppose I derive an additional 30 pounds of pleasure from giving. So now the total satisfaction produced by me giving you this is 60 on a cost of 50. So it looks like this actually creates value. And on that basis, some say that I'm missing the whole point. Well, my argument would be if I also derive joy from giving you something you actually wanted, so I'd still get my 30 and you'd get your 50 plus, in total we'd produce 80 plus worth of satisfaction, which is over 20 more than we produced with the bad gift. So I don't think joy of giving rescues, rescues bad giving as, as efficient. Instead, uh, you know, I think, 
I think the joy of giving is important. And what it means is that we can't just say let's not give because not giving means foregoing the joy of giving. But joy of giving does not make bad giving good. We could apply your argument to whole other forms of giving. I mean, for instance, if you were to invite me around for dinner and I knew that actually what I really wanted was a Big Mac and a can of Diet Coke, and I just turned up and said, well, this is what's efficient for me, then I presume you wouldn't be very happy and you probably wouldn't invite me back, would you? Uh, well, you, after all, voluntarily agreed to come. I, you know, I invited you. You know, Christmas is, is not voluntary. <laughs> so it's a little bit different. If I invited you over, now you might say, what are you serving? That's a bit of an odd question, but you might say that. So we could contract around it. Uh, but no, it is true. I mean, anytime. So in fact, this isn't really specific to Christmas. Uh, some, some researchers in India uh, were, I guess, inspired by my early work and, and did some work on Diwali and yeah. found the same thing going on. And, of course, in the U.S., it's not just Christians, but it's, it's gift-giving for Hanukkah that has the same kind, of, uh, same kind of effects. So it's not specific to Christmas. It really could, be, could arise any time there's a, an ex, sort of a consumption decision that, uh, made by someone else. The thing that's interesting, I, I guess, uh, special about Christmas – and other mass gift-giving holidays, is that it arrives and all of a sudden you have to buy things for many people. At least with the birthday and with the, the, the dinner for your friend, you, can, you only have to customize for one person at a time. And so I think it's easier to, uh, to find something that actually makes sense for them than it is if you know, the gun goes off and now find things for all 25 of your close friends. <laughs> okay, final question. I want to see if you take your own advice. Uh, you're here uh, talking about your new book, Scroogenomics, which is been published just in time of Christmas and is dinky and would fit very handy in any stocking. Uh, but going by your own argument, we should not be buying it as presents for each other. Well, no, my argument would be we should be buying it only for people we think would like it. But I think to be safe, what I would say is buy it for yourself. And if you don't like it, give it as a gift. <laughs> Happy Christmas, Joe. Joel Waldfogel there. I'll be back in the second week of January with Dan Roberts, Deborah Hargreaves and the rest of the business team. Until then, have a very happy new year and thank you for supporting and downloading us throughout 2009. I'm Adit Chakraborty and that was a business. <laughs>